Welcome to Unity Talks, where the hiring experts of Dallas-based recruiting firm Unity Search engage in lively discussion with successful business leaders to dissect their careers and how they got to where they are today, the obstacles overcome to reach their success, and steps they've taken to stay at the top of their respective fields. So listen in as we provide you with the thought-provoking conversation and ideas that keep industries moving forward. Man, I love that intro, and thank you so much for showing up today, and welcome to the Unity Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Cathy, and I'm thrilled today with who we have as our guest. You may notice that we're actually in a different studio than what we are typically in, and behind the cameras, we actually have a little bit of a live audience that I have bribed to behave so that they don't heckle me the entire time. The reality of it is they're actually here to listen to and see our guest we have today. So let's just jump to it. Our guest today is Jim Hopwood. Jim, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. We're really excited to have you here. I know our studio audience and our listeners online are thrilled to hear what you have to say. So I actually have a couple of little things here that I would like to get to just as a little bit of a background and a history on who Jim Hopwood is so that we can level set with our sure. audience. Yep. Okay. So Jim is a true, true finance guy. Um, he, uh, he went to undergraduate finance degree and his graduate degree from the prestigious University of Chicago Booth School of Business, both in finance and in business. And then from a work standpoint, he began his career in a building supply industry. Then he kind of jumped over and did a little bit of Goldman Sachs after he got out of graduate school, I believe, went back into building supply industry until he really found where his niche and his heart lies, and that is in healthcare. And that's how I know Jim, is from helping him out on the client side with staffing in his healthcare positions. And so in healthcare, Jim's particular niche, and he is extremely skilled in two areas. One area would be business turnarounds and turnaround situations. And the other one would be revenue cycle functions. And anybody who knows healthcare would be shaking their head up and down as in, yes, revenue cycle functions in healthcare are a beast. And that's an expertise of Jim. So currently, he is the CFO of Behavioral Health Group. And I'd love to pause here, Jim, and have you give a 30-second, one-minute um, commercial on Behavioral Health Group and what it provides for our society, because it's really important. It is really important. Um, we focus on substance use disorder, which means patients that have an addiction to opioids. Um, we help them really on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to recover from whatever situation they're in. Um, you know, their living arrangements, their family arrangements, their work arrangements. We really do um, provide a full gamut of services to somebody who's suffering from that type of addiction because generally those people have gotten into a very difficult place um, in their life and they need a lot of help in a lot of areas. Yeah. So, you know, we've um, operated more than 80 locations um, across the country mm -hmm. and we're expanding every day. We're looking to acquire more locations all the time and it, it's really just a, a great service yeah. um, for the country. And, you know, a great service for the population. We have about 28,000 patients, and we're not even the biggest slice of that industry wow. today. So we've got a lot more growing to do and a lot more help to give. So it's, it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's crazy to think about because you're in an industry that is growing, 
but it's growing because it's solving a, a, pan, a crisis yeah. in America. Yeah, you and know, so it's almost like, you, do you want it to grow? Do you not want it to grow? And as, as someone who is fiduciary responsible, responsible for the organization, it's, you're glad that you're growing and you're glad that you're providing that service, but it's almost like you kind of wish deep down that this wasn't as much of a need. No, that's right. You know, you, when you step back from it all, you realize that there's really two epidemics. It's coronavirus yeah. and opioids. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, a too many deaths every year from opioid use, um, overdose. Um, there's a lot of drugs on the street. There's a lot of drugs that are prescription. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't even think we're scratching the surface of the market that's out there to, to help people. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. where the growth comes from. It's great. Right now I'm sitting here thinking, you know, Jim, Jim could provide us a lesson in leadership and growing your career, but you could also provide us a lesson in just something that can help society. So we're going to jump back into the leadership and how you grow your career and how you got to where you are. That's what our audience yeah. is here to learn from. Yeah. So typically I start these things and I talk about their past. You know, let's go back to where when you're a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? And as we've talked in the past, um, yours has a little bit of a different spin because most people are like, you know, oh, I wanted to be a football player. Or, I wanted to be a musician. And, yeah. you know, yours was, uh, I dabbled in baseball, cycling, bike riding, you know, did a few bands. But when people make decisions, typically they make it on emotion first. And then reason and logic come a little bit later yeah. to a varying degree. Some it comes fast, some it comes slow you almost go straight to reason and logic because when we we've talked about i've started bands baseball was a thing your mind went to i don't think that's going to be very uh financially sound decision even when you're in middle school this is what you think and you learn that from your dad that's right tell us a little bit how your dad brought that into your life because you've carried it through to today you're right about that i think you know, it's even more than just my dad. It's probably my whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm the youngest of five kids, right? Three girls and, and two boys. And um, they all went off into college and then on to work while I was still in kindergarten, in grade school. So I watched every single one of them kind of do things. And, you know, as I did that, I was like, yeah, I want to do that too. So I think not just my parents, but also my brothers and sisters, you know, really uh, made a big impression on me. Tell you another story, too. Yeah. Um, my grandfather, on my father's side, he and my grandmother actually um, emigrated to the U.S. from England during the last pandemic. Oh, really? In 1920. And the reason he was coming was to um, take a job in Chicago as a bank auditor. He had an accounting degree. Mm-hmm. And they were coming over to do that. And um, they got stuck in New York because of the pandemic and all the questions that the uh, immigration service was asking about you know, them coming over. So they made it to Chicago. Um, ultimately, he became chief financial officer of a construction company. And that construction company helped to build um, Buckingham Fountain. Really? In the 1920s. So, you know, even kind of starting back... Um, that far, I kind of have all these great memories of people in my family who have just kind of given me landmarks, so to speak, yeah. of how to kind of anchor myself around certain things. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm actually going to pause on that for a second. You said an interesting word. They've given you landmarks for you to strive for. Yeah. And as, as, a, as a leader of an organization, have you, as you've grown in your career and your team's gotten bigger, how do you give your teams and people who look up to you uh, and you supervise, is it your responsibility to give them landmarks? Do you feel like they look to you to give them landmarks? How do you, because that's an interesting term you used. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, in a certain way, I think so. Um, you know, I, I try to lead through experience, right? Meaning that there are things that I've done before mm -hmm. and I know how to do. And with that, I can help people do it. But here's the difference, right? So my experience is from a number of years and technology, as an example, changes so quickly, right? There's no way for me to kind of manage an organization and keep up with technology. So I've got to figure out a way to help kind of give people those landmarks of here's how you can do this analysis, mm -hmm. but I have to let them do it their way. Because somebody who's in their 20s has a completely different way of thinking about the, the data, the database, the hardware that they might be using to perform those analyses, the cloud, mm -hmm. which, you know, a cloud was something in the sky when I was a kid, right? That's right, yeah. Um, and so they're, they're thinking about the same concepts very differently than I would have, and I have to let them go do that, but I can give them the framework and that kind of landmark to, yeah, yeah, to give them so, direction. Yeah. So, so on that note, when you talk about, they have a much more expanded skill set when they're coming out of school, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, absolutely. I, I knew a little bit of Excel, and then I self-taught everything else. Now people mm -hmm. are coming out of school that are financial uh, with a finance degree, and they can code in SQL and you know, all this other stuff, right? And, and the same thing yep. was you. So you're hiring people who have this unbelievable skill set that you've got to try to tap into and draw out the best in them, yeah. right? Straight out yeah. of school because you want to groom them and grow them in the organization. Yeah. So one of the things you and I have talked about in the past is a little bit of an internship program. And I actually had that written down and was going to get to it at the end, but this is a perfect spot to slide it in there. Sure. Um, because you're hiring interns mm -hmm. from local universities, creating relationships with them, hiring them. If they do a great job, they come back and work for you, right? If they yeah, do a good job absolutely. and you offer them a position. Yeah. How has that impacted Behavioral Health Group? Or yeah, I think you started this when you were in Florida. I started in Florida, yeah. So uh, Florida Atlantic University was right across the street from our headquarters. And so... I decided to go over and talk to the dean of the school of uh, the IT department and just, you know, start the conversation about how can we take your students and bring them over to our headquarters and start doing projects. Here's what we want to solve, right? And she started sending students over. Um, we paid them. And uh, we got a lot of work done. Mm -hmm. And it was work that we really wouldn't have um, thought about it the way they were thinking about it. Mm -hmm. which was really the best part of it all. We learned something too in the process. Mm -hmm. And uh, we hired some of them full-time and built out our IT staff, our finance staff along the way with folks like that. And the, the best part about that was that, you know, they want to learn a ton. And when you're willing to do that with the school, I think you want to learn a ton as well and drive a lot of um, improvement along the way. So that's really where it started. Mm -hmm. And when I came to Dallas, I said, let's do that same thing. So I talked to SMU, I talked to uh, University of North Texas in mm -hmm. uh, Denton, um, University of uh, Texas at Dallas. Yep. Um, 
and started doing the same thing. And, you know, the, the beauty of it is that you really find a lot of smart young people who want to do a good job. And they just need some kind of general direction, um, and they can take it and run with it. So that's the give and take. You're giving yeah. them an opportunity and, and giving them a landmark, mm -hmm. to use that term again. And they're giving you product that you couldn't do on your yeah. own. Right, because they're coming out of school and technology is changing by the day, by right. the minute. Yeah. Right. So it's a win-win for you. It is. I thought that was a great. I had that down because I thought it was great for other leaders who are listening to this and trying to solve a problem. And if that's a problem for you when you are running your organization, I think that's a great opportunity to bring people up. Because when when you are a new grad, right? Companies look. We run a recruiting firm, right? Unity Search. Mm -hmm. Typically, companies aren't going to pay us for a new grad who isn't bringing real-world applicable skills to solve a problem. They're going to go recruit people out of school, or they're going to find them. It's the, it's the 2 to 20, 25-year. Mm -hmm. That's where we, that's our playground, yeah. really, at this moment in time. That's the largest portion of our business. And so establishing these relationships with these universities can really solve problems well, that leaders are looking for. And another thought... Um related to that is, you know, a lot of people are looking for somebody with a couple of years of experience, at least, right? They want to find somebody that's got, you know, some expertise that they built up over a couple of years after school. But I really believe that the ones that are still in school or fresh out of school, you can throw them an idea and they can solve it just as fast mm -hmm. as somebody with a couple of years experience, maybe faster because they're not in that box of, um, you know, being conditioned by someone already. So it's just another idea. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're actually doing that more and more. We're taking another class from SMU to help us solve a problem yeah. uh, in the coming okay. weeks. Yeah. yeah. What you don't know is, and I think the best part of this, um, and you don't know I'm going here, is that uh, it was an issue you had when you graduated. You didn't have a lot of internship oh, opportunities. None. And as sure. you've looked back on your career, you've wished, man, I wish I would have had more internship opportunities to yeah. determine whether I wanted to go operational finance or investment finance. Yeah. And you didn't have that. And here you are coming full circle and providing that opportunity to students today. Yeah, yeah. So when I graduated from undergrad, um, it was a tough market. It took me a long time to find a job. I was interviewing, sending resumes, every, you know, everything you can think of, everything you would advise someone to do. Mm -hmm. and um, just couldn't find a job. And then, boom, luckily, somebody wanted to hire me. I think it took six months probably after I graduated. And um, that was that building materials mm -hmm. uh, distributor. And uh, it's, yeah, it's been a great road after that. So I kind of feel blessed that I found that one place that wanted to yeah. hire me and then allow me to kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah, luckily it worked out for you, right? Yeah, yeah. But it would have been a lot easier, I think, if there were those kind of opportunities around or if um, more schools, I think, you know, would approach an internship program that way. Yeah. I think more and more today they are, which is great. It really is valuable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. I think that's great advice for a lot of our listeners who are building an organization or they're in a leadership role. I think that's just super, that's, that's fantastic advice. Something I'd like to go to, because when talking about the beginning of your career, yep. you really didn't know which direction you were going to go. Right. And a lot of people may look at you today and say, man, he's at the top of the podium. He's the CFO of a company. I want to do that. 
it's not a straight path. And, and what you've talked about was, I really had to decide, am I going to do operational finance? Am I going to do investment finance? You dabbled in both. You were at Building Supply. You were at Goldman. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that decision-making process, because I'm sure we have listeners in our audience today who are sitting there scratching their head and young in their career and just struggling with some type of experience or decision that they could glean some advice from you on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely not a straight path for me. Um, You know, even going back to high school and before high school, I was really interested in architecture and architects. And my parents would take me on trips to go see Frank Lloyd Wright houses and things like that and really kind of really get into detail on architecture. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, But when I got into college, you know, again, that decision-making process of where am I really going to fit in? Where am I really going to, you know, make a good economic Mm -hmm. um, wage? Mm -hmm. Somehow it just turned into finance. And as I was taking accounting classes, I decided, well, I don't want to take accounting on as a career. That didn't seem interesting to me exactly. Um, And so I'll go a little bit on a side journey here, just because to me, accounting is taking that big funnel of information and distilling it down into summary numbers, one number for revenue, one number for salaries and wages, and getting to like a financial statement, income statement balance sheet, and really kind of collecting all that detail and getting it down into a a single financial statement, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas to me, a lot of times operational finance is the exact opposite. You're taking that one revenue number and trying to explode it back out to something that you can describe in detail to people in your company in a way that they understand it and can actually act on it. Mm-hmm. So that's when you step back from that idea, it's really a tough concept to operationalize, how to kind of re-explode all those numbers into something that you can present to people, mm-hmm. show them where the problems are, show them where the opportunities are, and get them then to act on those in a way where they can kind of keep repeating it and repeating it and keep improving and improving. And so to me, that was the thing that was really interesting mm-hmm. over time was that the accounting folks would try and distill things down into one number and the finance guys would try and kind of explode it back out into the detail. And that's just what made sense to me as being the, the way to go and the way that I thought. Um, so it, after you know, working in building materials and then going into Goldman, um, I re- really realized that it's kind of an operating company, the company that does something you know, um, in your community um, manufacture something maybe, distribute something. That was really the, the uh, kind of company that felt comfortable to me. So it was more intuition, I think, yeah. than anything, and just what felt good to me yeah. and where I felt I could make a big impact. Yeah. And that's the same reason why healthcare was really interesting to me. You said revenue cycle. Revenue cycle is a really complicated subject um, if you're not careful. And when I got into turnarounds, um, that's when I jumped into healthcare. And what I realized in turnarounds, uh, so I'm helping a hospital, as an example, that's financially distressed, can't pay its bills, can't figure out how to pay the nurses, um, which is a really dangerous place to be because you've got patients in beds, right? Right. So it was really my job to figure out how to get the cash in the door for the hospital to pay its bills. Seems like a simple um, process, right? But when you look at the revenue cycle of 
you're going to bill Medicare. And once you bill Medicare, they're going to tell you something and maybe pay you something. And then you're going to bill Medicaid. And then you're going to maybe bill a third payer and then maybe some patient balances left over. That gets really complicated after a while. And so I realized very quickly that if you don't have the right person running revenue cycle, you've got a big problem really fast. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I said, this is the thing that I was looking for. This is kind of taking that single number and exploding it back out to the details, right? And from there, then figuring how to piece it back together where you can explain it to people yeah. and get them to act on it yeah. and act on the problems and act on the opportunities. Yeah. Um, so it just made a lot of sense. Well, here's what's so great about that is when did you get into healthcare? How many years in your career? Uh, 20. 20 years in your career. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the lessons to be learned from that is it's never too late. Just because the, your first career didn't work out. Yeah. We hope it does, right? I mean, that's what we want. That's what we're after. Yeah. That's how we provide. That's how we pay our bills. We want our first career to work out. I'm sitting in a room full of people where a lot of them, that first career and what they chose was not what is not what they're doing today. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's no degree for recruiters. Right? I didn't go and get a recruiting degree from Abilene Christian University. That's not what I came out with. I came out with a finance degree and decided I needed to do something else that was going to fit me more and ended up in recruiting. So I still dabble. I've got my toe in the water. Yeah. We do finance and accounting, so that helps. But it, what's great for other people to hear is you didn't find your path in healthcare where you have a particular expertise in until you're 20 years in your career. Right. And I view it a little differently, I'll say, because I've always viewed my career as just um, working hard, always going to school. You know, it's kind of that old saying that you learn something new every day, mm -hmm. right? Um, but preparing myself for that next challenge, whether it was getting a, a good degree, getting another good degree, um, working hard, you know, at, at the company that I'm with, trying to get people to see what I could do, um, and just continuing to push myself, whatever I was doing, right? It didn't matter whether it was building materials or investment banking or healthcare. It was really important to just do what I thought needed to be done to do a good job, yeah. right? And the, le the rest could hopefully take care of itself. Well, now this is a lesson right here yeah. that I think is great for people to take away uh, because it's a lesson that you've given to your daughter. In fact, I wrote it down when we were talking just the other day. You said um, you should achieve your highest potential. You need to do that, and then you need to do more. Exactly. So explain that. Well, it was kind of a concept, I think, that my dad would uh, kind of throw out to me once in a while. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was just a great guy. Um, never did anything in a mean-spirited way, right? He was always trying to encourage. But when we were driving down the road sometimes and we saw a construction project on the road, he'd say, Jim, think about this. You can either dig ditches or go to school. And he didn't really say much more than that. And he wasn't saying it to, to be derogatory towards the guy that was working on the road project. But what he was really trying to tell me um, after I, you know, got working and he started explaining it to me some more. Um, he said, you know, what matters is do the best you can. Be the best that you can. And if you think you can do more, do it. Push yourself to do more. And if you're going to be a ditch digger or a road worker, be the best one there is, right? But if you're going to go to school and get a career in business, do that as hard as you can too. And just keep trying. So that's 
exactly what I tell my daughter yeah. you know, every time I talk to her. How do you convey that message to your teams at Behavioral Health Group? Uh, you know, it's, it's by example, I think. You know, I'm somebody who leads by example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, you know, I, I come in early. I'm, I'm very old-fashioned. I work late. Um, Get out of here. Yeah, I, I don't take much of a lunch break. <laughs> Get it. Shock- I, you know, this is all shocking. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I really set some pretty big objectives, I think, for myself and for the folks who work for me. Um, but like my dad, I try and do it in a, a good way, a reasonable way, you know, a, um, a way where people can really see why I'm trying to set that objective. Mm-hmm. And for me, I find that that works. Um, there's always issues you have to deal with, and sometimes you have to be um, harder about dealing with those things or dealing with certain employees. Mm-hmm. But that's not my preferred um, mode of motivating people. Yeah. I think it's working as a team. Yeah. Is really, and that's what makes it fun for me, too. Yeah. It's kind of solving problems as a team. Yeah, I would imagine the youngest of five growing up, you're looking up at your older siblings the entire time, and, yeah. and they were significantly older than you, but still wanting that team environment because that's what a family is as well, right? It's that's a right. team that's working together. Yeah. Right? And that bled over into your career. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's great. So one of the things that we've talked about before is just the difference when the, what you thought about work early on mm-hmm. and now where you are and the advice you got. Because early on, it was about grinding. It was about being technical. It's the interns. They can do things in SQL and Excel and from an accounting standpoint. And you had to learn that transition into it's not as much about grinding people to get the work technically correct but it became more about the people. Right. Well, that, yeah, that's, a little that's, that. that's exactly right. Um, you know, early on, um, I would always read articles, business articles, self-improvement articles, whatnot. And you know, they, as you're reading things about becoming a leader, you're reading things about how you transition from technical skills to people skills, running projects to running an organization, doing an analysis to kind of being more strategic. And early in my career, I didn't, you know, I, okay, I get it, right? I'm reading about it. You're teaching me about it. Makes a lot of sense. But it's hard to really visualize how you get there because you're, you're still stuck in that analysis, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, at least for me, it was something that took time, right? And the further up the organization I got, it made more sense. In fact, early on in my career, they gave me a chance to be an accounting supervisor, the thing that I really didn't want to do. And I kind of said no at first because it had accounting mm-hmm. in the word. And I didn't think that that was something that was going to be good for me. But the part that was, was the supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, you know what, I'm going to do this because it's going to really help me figure out how to work with people in a different way than I was before. And so I took that job, um, worked with that accounting team, led the accounting team. Um, the, the thing that I remember the most about it was they had this way of doing it that was really paper-based and very kind of inefficient. And the first thing I said was, we're going to change how we do this. I'm not going to do it this way anymore. We're going to do it on a computer. We're going to do it this way, that way. So I, I also realized that I really had this interest in improving things too mm-hmm. along the way. So. Um, the more and more I did those things, the more and more I worked with people, 
it was easier and easier to kind of lead people. It just kind of became more natural. I don't think it was something where you can stamp out a leader. I think it takes experience, honestly. Yeah. yeah. You know? Do you, do you believe, so you're a leader and you feel like, as you discussed earlier, I try to lead by example. Mm-hmm. Is that how you learned some as well? I mean, you're reading books, you're reading leadership books, but can you pinpoint someone where you were like, you know, I emulated them and I tried to model myself maybe after them or yeah. maybe it was someone who wasn't good and you're like, I'm going to do the exact opposite of this well, particular leader. It's a, it's a great point. I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say every day, honestly, since the beginning of my career, I've worked with, you know, an organization, right? And there's individuals, right? In different areas, uh, CEO, CFO, uh, administrative officer, um, an accounting manager, whatever it might be, right? Working with each of those people, I'm always trying to listen to how they work um, and what they do, and then decide whether that's something that I want to kind of mentor myself after, mm-hmm. or I just, it doesn't feel right and I want to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've really done that my entire yeah. career. Yeah, I like, uh, does it matter their level? Because yeah. now you're above virtually everybody in the organization. Right. So you're talking about watching people who are beneath you yep. from a hierarchical standpoint sure. and deciding whether or not you would emulate that. Yeah, no, I, I think still, that's great. I look at both sides, up yeah. and down, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fantastic. Well, so as we wrap up, I've got, I've got two questions for you that sure. I think I'd, I'd love for our audience to, to hear from an advice standpoint. One of them is if you are climbing in your career and you're starting out, knowing that your career takes twists and turns, it's not a straight line, uh, what piece of advice would you give someone early on in their career? Or maybe maybe they're 35, 40 years old. They don't have to be early on in their yeah. career, and they're still trying to figure things out. I mean, you landed in healthcare when you were 20 years into your career. So what would you give them ad, as advice in, in helping them hone in on a direction? I think it, it's got to be what um, feels good to them, right, in the sense that it's it's a career or something where they feel they can really excel at, right, so that, um, they're not going off in a direction where they can't be good at it, right? You have to, I think you have to commit to yourself that you can do this, mm-hmm. first of all, and that you want to do this. Like me, early in my career, I looked at accounting and said, that doesn't feel right to me, finance. It does feel right to me. Yeah. And I kind of had reasons in the back of my mind as to why I was good at math. I, was, I really kind of felt, you know, there was a, um, an inquisitive side to finance that I really wanted to go after. And so I really kind of tested all those boundaries, so to speak, to decide which direction I should go in. So I think you should, you know, kind of intuitively listen to yourself yeah. about those things and then just go for it because that's how you can really um, succeed, I think, yeah. You're doing what you want to do. I think that's great. And my second question for you is if we're talking to leaders of organizations who lead teams of people, uh, your advice to get the most out of them to, to do what they should do and then do more, to use the phrase that you've used previously? Yeah, I think, you know, the basics of finding a, a smart person who um, can fit in your organization. And I always use the example of somebody right out of school who wants to do a great job. Um, you can give them some successes and show them how that really 
really impacts and helps a company operationally mm -hmm. and what improvements the company can make based on what they helped you create. Um, you can give people a, a good objective, uh, some good outcomes, and really show them that they can be successful in that. I think, to me, that's the most powerful thing. Because yeah. people want to keep repeating those kind of um, processes, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it builds, builds up their confidence, um, helps the company huge, great deal. Yeah. Um, so Jim. I think I encourage everybody to find some young folks to work hard. Absolutely. Man, you have such great advice. I love how you ended there where it's building other people's confidence. Yeah. You know, you've got to pour into your people and the more you pour into your people, the more they're going to give back to you and your organization. That's right. And that, that I call that a sticky culture. People don't want to leave. It becomes really sticky, right? And now right. people don't want to leave. And the people that don't fit that culture, they self-select out. I, that's sure. that's not for me. I don't want to work as hard as they do, and and I don't feel like I'm. And that's okay if they self-select out. So, I really appreciate the words that you shared with us today. Jim has been fantastic, and we really appreciate you coming here. And we also appreciate our listeners. We hope that you're getting so much value out of these discussions that we have every other week. And I would encourage you that if you are, if you would share this podcast with family and friends and people you think could benefit from it, that would be fantastic because I think people like Jim and some of our other guests have so much valuable gold information that we're trying to get out of them and others can learn from it. So until next, next time, thank you so much. If you're looking for the next step in your career or the missing piece for your team, Unity Search has you covered. Whether it's finance and accounting, tax services, information technology, or human resources, Unity Search is here for you with experienced and dedicated hiring professionals. Reach out today and take the next step. Unity Search, placing you first.